We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bellato. What a wild week it has been, Nick, and to all of our fans. I hope everyone is staying safe out there. And although the rest of the sports world has shut down, it does appear like the NFL plans to move forward with free agency and the start of the new league year. Late last night, the new CBA was passed. And according to Adam Schefter's most recent report, it seems like the NFL will move on, move forward with free agency on the start of the league the new year. And that will officially begin on Wednesday, though, the rumors and free agent contract news will probably start to be reported tomorrow night on Monday. Um, today's podcast, we're going to dive into the latest news and rumors surrounding the Giants, play a little game of free agency this or that, and then answer all of your questions from our mailbag. But before we do any of that, Nick, I want to get a little update from you. How's your life been during these crazy times? Yeah, it's uh, absolutely nuts. I got back from Vegas, and uh, it, that was a really brilliant trip but everything after and since has kind of fallen apart which is uh terrible and uh just say wash your hands guys try to limit going out in uh, big crowds and really just be wary of the elderly and people who are a little bit more susceptible to the real uh, ramifications of this uh deadly coronavirus yeah nick it's it's really it's crazy times and and like you said i mean it may not be about saving yourself because you may be able to recover from this and it may mean nothing to you, coronavirus, if you're around our age. Uh, me and Nick are both, you know, early 30s. But if you're older or you have pre-existing conditions, you may be in trouble. And I would hate to be the person to be the reason why someone in the in that situation, you know, gets this deadly virus or anything like that. So it seems like me and Nick will both be practicing some self-containment or what, what do they call it? Self, what's the word for it, Nick? Quarantine. Quarantine. Self-quarantine. Um, 
and some social distancing, which means good news for everybody who's a fan of this podcast because we plan to hit a lot more of these podcasts coming up. And this will be the first of many, we hope, in the coming days as Freeancy plans to continue on forward. So, Nick, now that the CBA has passed, and early reports of the salary cap has jumped all the way to $198.2 million. Ryan Tannehill's been signed to a massive contract. The Ravens traded a meaningless late fifth-round pick for Calais frickin' Campbell. I don't think people realize it's still so damn good. Uh, but don't worry, the Giants did re-sign David Mayo. Now, all jokes aside, though, Nick, what did you make of the decision to re-up Mayo? Hey, I was 100% fine with re-upping Mayo. I think he could be a... You, you would prefer him to be the fourth linebacker, but he can be the third linebacker. I feel like he proved that uh, at a pretty solid rate last year. He wasn't a huge liability, I would say, against the pass, maybe a little bit more so than against the run, which I felt like he played at a pretty uh, high rate against the run. I know PFF had really high numbers on him, but just watching the film, watching the All-22, you and I have talked about how he was effective, especially in between the box. So he was he could be in the box and he could go downhill and just kind of utilize that really quick decisive stop start attack downhill take on a block shed and then make that tackle and I feel like he's not necessarily an athletic liability either he doesn't have that sideline to sideline range that linebackers like Telvin Smith or Roquan Smith have or any, anything like that but I feel like it was a solid deal at a low price gonna affect special teams really positively affect special teams so I was fine with it. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you, Nick. I think what people have to understand is the Giants have really been shedding players at this inside linebacker, off-ball linebacker position for quite some time. They recently released Ogletree. They traded B.J. Goodson, one of their draft picks from a few years back, who they'd hoped would settle into a full-time role or at least, you know, become a core member of that inside off-ball linebacker group. They traded him before the start of last season. So they've been shedding guys at that position for quite some time. And what that means is they need new bodies there. They can't go into this offseason completely barren at the inside linebackers. So what they did, they re-signed a guy who they believe is a really good fit for the locker room and the culture, a guy who understands where they're moving from a defensive standpoint. Because while Betcher's not coming back, James Betcher, Patrick Graham is going to bring very similar style defense. It's a multiple defense, going to be a lot of nickel. There's going to be a lot of similarities, in my opinion. Um, so what that means is you can get a guy pretty cheap. I mean, the contract we've seen, the numbers we've seen is three years, 8.4 million. But if it's anything like the Spencer Pulley deal they signed at the beginning of last offseason, well, that means that there's going to be very little guaranteed tied to the year after this one. So they can release him next offseason, probably with minimal to no cap hit if they need to. And in between, he's going to be what he has been, a really, really good special teams player. So to me, you know I'm not a big believer that the Caps going to play much of a role for the Giants uh, pretty much until they re-sign Daniel Jones if they do decide to do that. So for me, three years, $8.4 million, probably not much guaranteed so they can get out of it. To me, it's pretty much a no-brainer. There's not much going on there. If it was something like three years, 15 mil, three years, 18 mil, then we start to worry a little bit about what they're assuming Mayo will be. But like Nick said, as long as he's not playing too big of a role on defense, I'm pretty much fine with this one. Yeah, and uh, again, that special teams value is something that not a lot of people find too sexy or too appealing, but it's really, really necessary. There are three phases of football, offense, defense, specials, and he can excel there too. Yep, I think you're spot on there, Nick. And there hasn't been much actual Giants news, notes, and rumors since you know our last pod, but 
you know, I do want to mention before we dive into the free agency, this or that, that they did send a large contingency, the Giants coaches, to one of the final pro days that happened before kind of the coronavirus has kind of cut off all pro days and that kind of stuff. And that was Zach Bond, who you know, who you guys know full and well is one of my favorite prospects in this draft cast. Uh, sorry, draft class. And, you know, Brett Bielma, Giants' new coach, is was there. He was, you know, an old Wisconsin coach, but he never coached Bond. But it was probably an easy transition for him to head up for that pro day. It was fun to see him put Bond through some drills, some linebacker drills. I, I still stand by Nick. It's a pretty much dream scenario for me that the Giants land him at 36. I don't think he'll be there, unfortunately. But, man, if he's there at 36, uh, you know, it gives me hope that they can go ahead and pull the trigger on offensive line in round one and still be fine. Is there anything else you want to touch on? Uh, before we dive into the free agency, this or that game. Now, when it comes to Zach Bond, though, that isn't that the dream scenario if the Giants do not go after Isaiah Simmons is to take is to maybe even trade back, get some assets, and then take either Becton, Wills, or Werfs, and then land Bond at 36, and Bond can literally play off ball or blitz off the edge at a high level and just kind of be a little chess piece for this Patrick Graham defense. That would be excellent, but I think it's a glass half full mentality. It is. I mean, NFL teams are going to see the tape. The tape is awesome with Bond. Now, yeah. I will say this. So, Bond's a guy, what did he have? 12 and a half sacks and 16 and a half tackles for a loss last year. And looks awesome on tape. So, I mean, I don't see that as a potential, as a likely second round pick. But with so, this is such a loaded class up top, Nick. I think there's just a small chance somebody looks at him and says, you know, what position is he? Can he really play edge? Can he really play off ball? Because you, you mentioned he could play either. And it's kind of a dream scenario to, to trade back pick up an OT, extra picks, and I'm sorry, extra picks, and then get Bond. But I'm not even ruling out to me, Nick. I don't hate the idea of going Simmons and Bond back-to-back 1-2 at 4-36 and if Bond were to be there. Because Bond, to me, is still an edge guy. He can, they're projecting him as a potential off-ball guy, and maybe somebody like Patrick Graham can find ways to put him in spots to be an off-ball guy. But I think he can play both. I think he's better at edge right now. I think he has some really good pass rush moves around the edge that he showed off on tape consistently at Wisconsin. Um, and that's what I know him as, as a Badger fan. Now, on the flip side, I don't think Simmons is a guaranteed off-ball backer. I think he can be used in a, a lot of different spots, matched up against tight ends or even in that deep half safety role. So to me, adding both of those guys to the defense is a real big step toward, in the direction of getting a defense that's going to help the Giants win football games. So I am really even open to that scenario, Nick. Yeah, I can't say that I would be opposed to that, especially depending on what the Giants end up doing. And you're not wrong either, but Bond could be available at 36. It's not an unprecedented thing for that to actually materialize because we've seen crazy things happen in the draft. We've seen runs on positions just kind of right. take over. We saw it a couple years ago with Corey Davis, John Ross, and Mike Williams getting t- taken in the top 10, three receivers that really didn't shouldn't have been drafted that high, but a run early on that happened. What if that happens in this deep receiver class? Now, does that seem likely? Probably not, but it's something that could materialize and push Bond down. But I can honestly see him going to like a really good team, like the Packers or the Ravens or something like that. And just flourishing. Yeah. I mean, it's more likely one of those back half teams in the playoffs is going to smarten up there, but you know, it's not totally out of the, out of the blue. And I think one thing we've learned for sure is the giants are super interested in Bond. I mean, they've made it pretty obvious, but we didn't really need all this, Nick, because just looking at, you know, what they saw in Connolly last year um, in the draft class, he this the way that Jim Leonard runs that defensive system is kind of in the same mold of what what direction the Giants are trying to go on defense with Betcher and now with Graham. So I really think he fits. 
So we'll see what happens there, but I'm happy to see they're interested in him because overall, I just think he's an excellent value. He's not going to be a guy who look, you know, he's a balding guy. He's a balding 20, whatever year old. So people may look at him and be like, who is this guy? How can this guy be a top pick? But, you know, if you know, if he does, even if he doesn't blow you out of the water with the athletic testing, he, you just put on his tape and you could see what, what we see. All right, Nick, let's dive into a game of free agency, this or that. And I'll start off with an interesting one. And let's keep, I'm going to use this as a, um, I guess, disclaimer to kind of break down this whole thing, Nick. But if the Giants are planning to sign any of these top guys at any of the top positions, work under the impression that they will become the highest paid player at the position. That's how free agency works. Free agency is not about value. The draft is about value. You're not getting value in free agency. You're filling desperate needs that you haven't been able to fill through excellent drafting. That's what free agency is. And let's be honest, with Jerry Reese in there from 2007 to 2011, no, I'm sorry, to 2018, right before, or sorry, 17, and with the Giants kind of not totally knocking it out of the park in the past two drafts either with Gettleman, they've got a lot of needs to fill. So here's my first this or that for you, Nick. Should the Giants either this, make Byron Jones the highest paid cornerback in the NFL, or that, make Anthony Harris the highest paid safety in the NFL? I think it's Byron Jones, and we've gone on this podcast and said that Byron Jones is our number one free agent target, and I feel like just locking down that side of the field and letting DeAndre Baker worry about the number twos and watch him as he continues to develop, I think that's a more prudent task. And plus, Jones is an elite athlete. He's 27 years old. You're taking him away from the Cowboys. And when it looks at when you look at the contracts, he's going to have the top Xavier Howard's contract of five years, 75 and some change, which the average salary of that is going to be about 15. I would imagine that Jones is probably going to be around 16, something along those lines, maybe a little bit higher than that if the bidding war between the Eagles actually ensues. But for me, it's Byron Jones. I do love Harris, though, and I don't want to take anything away from Harris as a free safety. He would have to top the contract slightly less, which is Landon Collins at 14, who signed last year for the with the Washington Redskins. And I think Harris is, um, the last two years with the Vikings, he's really balled out and showed good range, good ball skills. I actually watched a lot of his film yesterday, really came away impressed. But if you're comparing the two, I'm going to go with Jones. Yeah, it's a really interesting question for me, Nick. I'm going with Jones, um, as, as you know, and you know, as you said, he's been our top target for a lot of reasons. Minimal red flags can lock down an entire half of the field. Um, also, for me, the the difference between Jones and Harris is not just the pedigree. I mean, Jones is a is a more is a better athlete and was drafted a lot higher than Harris, who was undrafted. But for me, it's it's the versatility. Jones, if they need him to, I'm not saying they will, because he's shown that he's the best. That's just a simple boundary lockdown corner. But if they need him to, Jones can, in a pinch, play safety for the Giants like he has in the past for the Cowboys. In a pinch, he can lock down the slot and match up against tight ends and running backs. And there will be games like against a guy like Bill Belichick where it's going to be important to have – if, you know, let's say Belichick I'm, – I'm assuming Belichick might be able to get another tight end like Gronk or Hernandez in the future where they're going to need to take out specific players and have specific matchups that the opposing coach is going to continue to try to beat them with taken away. So for me, for that reason, the versatility, I'm going with Jones. But I do really like what I've seen from Harris. And to me, he'd probably be, Nick, one of my – and we'll get to this as we continue to play this game. But he'd be one of my top next top targets. I mean, last year he kind of finally started to play some some uh, some snaps for the Vikings in the box and over the slot. Before that, he'd been just really a true deep half safety. But the numbers – I mean, the film you talk about is awesome. But the numbers are also there too. I mean, he's had – 
nine interceptions and seven pass breakups over the past two years. That's ball skills production. But also, more importantly to me, is he's just not missing tackles, which is so key for the Giants, that deep half safety role. I mean, they've just had so many missed tackles over the years, trying guys like Curtis Riley out there and whatnot. You really need, and Darian Thompson as well, you need that sure tackling ability at that third level with the deep half safety because that's really that last level in a lot of big plays that, you know, can change games. So for me, Nick, I'm sticking with what you said, and I'm also going with Jones. But let's flip it over then. How about Anthony Harris, again, as the highest paid safety, because that's what he's going to be, especially now with McCourty likely to come off the market, Justin Timmons tag. Or that, which is Jadavian Clowney at 22 to $23 million per year uh, as the highest paid defensive end on the market. See, this one I have trouble with, and I've expressed my reservations for Clowney, but at the same time, a, an edge player like Clowney on the Giants' defense will significantly help the secondary, will significantly help the pass rush, and with someone's ability like Clowney, who can really play against a run, will assist this already pretty stout run defense. So I love what Clowney brings from that point of view. Granted, he's always dinged up. Yes, he doesn't miss a lot of games, but he plays a lot of games hampered, which affects his overall effectiveness to get to the quarterback. But Anthony Harris is, I think, a difference maker on the back end that will also help so much and come at a significantly cheaper price. Granted, the position isn't as high of a demand, so I think I'm going to go with Harris on this one. Yeah, it's an interesting question, especially because you're looking at a difference of probably seven, eight million in cap savings per year because just because of the position you talk about. I mean, Clowney, uh, an edge is going to make a lot more in frequency than a safety. Um I think that the upside here is clowning. It's always going to be. I mean, he's a freak of nature physically. He's played, in my opinion, his best football over the past two seasons, especially against the run. But really, you know, the sack numbers haven't been there, but the pass rushing has been pretty close to where it was at early in his career. Injuries have hampered him. Obviously, he hasn't lived up to the potential and hype. I mean, he was the first overall pick. He was supposed to be a game-changing defensive end. But with all that said, for me, Nick, it's still going to be Harris because— a, there's still a lot more downside for me with Clowney, and B, I just think that deep half safety role is so rare and hard to find in the NFL, and yet makes such of a difference and an impact on wins and losses. So when you combine those two things, the scarcity of the position and the importance of the position, to me, he's worth paying long-term. I don't care that he was an undrafted free agent. That doesn't matter anymore. He's clearly proven that that doesn't matter anymore with back-to-back -back seasons of elite play. So I'm going Harris as well, Nick. But let's pivot here and let's go Jadivian Clowney again, highest paid player, 22 to 23 million per year. Or, and this guy is going to be the highest paid player at his position, and that's just how frequency works, even though he's nowhere near the best. And that man is Jack Conklin. Yeah, so the savings between these two aren't as, aren't as drastic as the savings with Anthony Harris. And obviously the Giants are looking to replenish and refuel that tackle position but jack conklin is the right tackle for the tennessee titans obviously a team that prided itself on running the ball but a team that also prided itself on or really predicated their offense around the play action pass which assists in those vertical kind of uh sets and things along those lines because there have been some concerns with jack conklin when it comes to pass protection now he's going to be looking for north of 18 mil a year because lane johnson currently has that right now for the philadelphia eagles and the next was trenton brown who signed 16 and a half with the raiders last season so he's going to be looking at at least 17 if he's trying to reset the market 18 and a half 19 that's not that big 
not that much of a saving on what Jadavian Clowney is going to be looking for as well. So I'm going to have to go with Clowney on this one. Get that edge player, that solid player against the run. Again, have my reservations with those injuries and with the fact that he kind of disappears sometimes, but he still would be a difference maker on this defense and would automatically help the secondary, help the pass rush, help the run defense, all three phases of the defense. Yeah, well, Nick, it doesn't seem like we're disagreeing too much, but I will say that I'm going with Clowney as well. I'm not a huge Conklin fan for starters. I think there's issues in pass, bro. I think like Andrew Thomas of Georgia, the offensive tackle in this draft class, a lot of there's a lot of question marks around the fact that he's in a run-heavy offense with a heavy play-action-based passing game. And that, to me, can hide a tackle's deficiencies in pass protection. Conklin, even when he hasn't been in that type of system, has been not so good in pass protection. And in addition to all of that, what was already said, I think the Giants, one, can't afford to make another big free agent splash of the offensive tackle position unless somehow like Trent Williams was a free agent um, or something like that, a, a real surefire elite guy, and Jack Conklin's not that. Um, obviously, they still have Solder's contract on the books for this year, and then next year they'll probably get out of it, but still with some dead cap. So you would allocate the dead cap there, plus Zeitler's cap it, plus Conklin's cap it, and you're starting to add up a lot there on that offensive line. Um, and in addition to all of that, Nick, I really just believe that the Giants shouldn't exactly be running the same style of offense that Conklin can thrive in. Um, I believe they're better suited with an offensive tackle like a Tristan Wirfs. I'm not advocating to take him, but somebody who's athletic and can get out of space in the passing screen game uh, for Barkley. And I also just mostly don't think Daniel Jones would benefit from running a similar offense to what the Titans and Ryan Tannehill had last year. I don't think that fits his skill set the best. And I think that's where they should be moving when it comes to the offensive system. So with all those things in mind, Nick, I'm going clowny here, kind of a no-brainer for me. Yeah, yeah. when it comes to Conklin, too, I mean— I look at some of the uh, right tackles that just became available. I look at someone like Ricky Wagner or even Cordy Glenn, maybe on like a one-year prove-it deal to bring it in. And I'm not saying they're the end-all be-all by any means, but if you can get Clowney and then land someone like that, maybe even draft the uh, replacement in the second day if they don't go with a right. tackle high in the draft. And that's another prudent approach that I feel like the Giants may be able to take, especially because Wagner and Glenn were just made available in the last couple of days. Not to mention, uh, regarding Rag Wagner and Glenn, and this goes for you know other positions, but those guys were released, so they won't count against the compensatory uh, formula if they're signed because they were released, and yes. and you know so that that also could come into play there. All right, Nick, how about another this or that? Leonard Williams at about twelve to thirteen mil per year, or Jadavian Clowney at twenty two to twenty three per. I'm going to go with Leonard Williams here. I'm not sure if that would be the popular pick because I feel like a lot of Giants fans have a lot of negative emotions towards Williams, but I don't feel like we should hold the trade, the, the ill-advised trade by Dave Gettleman against Leonard Williams. He's still a 26-year-old player who's over 300 pounds, who can bend, who can play outside at five technique, who can play inside. You can really utilize him. And I think both those players would really feed off each other if they were on the same squad, but that money difference is very, very big. I'm going to go with Leonard Williams. It's a closer one for me than than I would have expected because, um, you know, it's it's an interesting scenario. It's like is is I think Clowney would be a better if I could only pick one and they were the same cost, I would pick Clowney. But I yes. think for me, the difference actually does come down to the money because, you know, that 10 per year or whatnot can be used for a player like. 
Kyle Van Noy maybe, or maybe if it's not Van Noy, maybe if Van Noy gets into the 14 mil range, I still think a Joel Schobert, uh, Joel Schobert at a, you know, the off ball linebacker from the Browns could be, you know, only 10 mil per year, something like that. So when it comes down to that, the nuts and crannies of it, I do believe that the price makes it plays a factor there. Um, and you know, like we've said on the podcast, Nick, I, I am higher on Leonard Williams than most. I'm not, I don't like the trade and I think they would have been easily could have signed him in free agency. I don't think the jets would have tagged him, but that's all in the past, and I do think he makes a bigger impact on the field than people realize. With currently no NBA, NHL, or college basketball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong there, bub! Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online, which means you don't need to leave your house. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, and esports is always on the rise. If you're into entertainment, you can still bet on American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. So if you're a Joey Chestnut fan, that might work out for you there, bub. Be sure to use the promo code Blue Wire, all one word, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your new ticket to online action. All right, Nick, here's another one. Kyle Van Noy plus Joe Schober. So you get them both in this, this. Or that, and the that is clowning. Same cost. Mm-hmm. So th- this one's really interesting, and I'm going to have to go with Kyle Van Noy and Joe Schober saying that they are the same cost as Clowney, which I don't feel like is, is real. I think Schobert and Van Noy's contract will exceed what Clowney does make, but I think you're replenishing two positions, and Van Noy does bring a quality to the edge position. He's really excellent in stunts and things like that. I went through a couple days ago because, you know, I'm locked up in here and watched all Van Noy sacks. It, he wasn't, you know, utilizing an amazing pass rushing repertoire to defeat Uh, these really good tackles or anything like that, but he's just in the right place at the right time. And he's just acquiring sacks that way. And I think his addition with Schobert will really just upgrade the front seven of the Giants defense when it comes to pass rush and just competency in the past as well. And Clowney, again, I feel like I'm shitting on him on this podcast. I really do not mean to, but he's going to be looking for 22, 23 million. And that is a hefty paycheck for a player who hasn't even had 10 sacks in a season yet so i'm gonna go with van noy and schobert yeah we're in more agreement than i thought we might be on this pod but i guess that's kind of 10 we kind of tend to see the giants in a very similar light nick and i promise this is not discussed pre-podcast for you guys this is just kind of how we see the team um and i'm, I'm with you on this one I, I like the idea that van noy can can play multiple positions and he's exactly kind of players are looking for and then you also get Schobert, who is a guy I think is super, super underrated. And those are just two guys who can play off the ball or, you know, for in, in Bernoy's case, on, also on the edge. And they're just going to be players that help this defense get better. Um, Clowney can also be that, of course. But it, it, there's a lot of boom there. And then there's also some bust. All right, Nick, how about Corey Littleton, who I now believe will be the highest paid off-ball linebacker by far in this market. He's going to reset that market. Or... Chris Harris, the corner from the Broncos, who could immediately lock down the slot for the Giants and play on the edge on a short two to three year contract that doesn't have a cap hit that extends into the years past Daniel Jones rookie deal. See, I look at Corey Littleton. Corey Littleton, uh, he wasn't really talked about as much, but he had a really solid year for the Rams. He's 26 years of age. And if he's looking for seven north of 17 mil a year, which would reset that inside linebacker. Uh, market because that's CJ Mosley signed last year with the Jets for that much. That's that's a hefty price tag. Now, I also look at Bobby Wagner who makes actually 18 mil, and if he's going to reset that, that's way too 
too much for me to ask. Granted, I love the fact that he is very effective against covering tight ends, against uh, just in coverage in general, zone coverage, things like that. He's a lighter linebacker at 228 pounds. But I'm going to go with Chris with Chris Harris on this one and uh, just really secure that that slot position, mainly that nickel position, I should say, mainly because of the contract that you alluded to. But uh, yeah, I really do feel like the Giants need to address that linebacker position. And David Mayo is not the uh, only answer for that by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're going to pin these two against each other, I'm going to go with Harris in the short term. Yeah, once again, we're in lockstep here, Nick. Uh, I like Littleton, but I'm a little buyer beware of Littleton. I think that there's some things that concern me with First of all, I know he's going to be paid a ridiculous contract. It's just how frequency works. Um, and he's one of those guys that's going to make that kind of money. And I get a little worried. I, I think he's he may be, he's not a one-trick pony. And if he is, he's the thing you want. It's the coverage and the speed at the off-ball linebacker position. But I worry some of what we've seen from him has been a product of the system he's played in and more so the players around him. Having Aaron Donald in front of you doesn't hurt, especially in addition to all the big-name players they added to that defensive front to the secondary even next alongside him uh you know at the linebacker position the Rams have gone all in over the past two offseasons just totally disregarding any future cap concerns and trying to win in this window right now um that they are in so I I am a little worried about the the sporting cast he's played with um and if he's kind of been you know pushed up because of it Nick that's something that concerns me I can't say I've based that off of my any kind of film analysis it's just kind of you know, overall football analysis of what happens when you play with players like Aaron Donald around you all the time. Uh, so just a little buyer beware there. We'll see if I'm right on that. And to me, Harris is going to be a steal. All these older veterans who are still playing at a high level, Chris Harris, Calais Campbell, Linville Joseph, these guys are all going to be absolute steals by people who, you know, are ageist and don't want to sign older guys and don't realize that these guys are still playing at a high level and they won't, you know, require you to spend cap past the next couple seasons, which is another huge advantage. But Let's move on to another one, a lower level one, Nick. Jimmy Ward or Trey Boston for the safety position? Yeah, for me, it's Trey Boston off of his ball skills, and I feel like he has a more range than uh, Jimmy Ward. I feel like when you combine or look at both these players, Ward might be a little bit more solid against the run. But I like what Trey Boston offers as a coverage safety, which Trey Boston was targeted 16 times last year and only received eight receptions, which was 50 percent. And just from what I've seen, I haven't grinded the film on either of these players, but I'm going to go with Boston because I feel like he is uh, more coverage upside than Jimmy Ward. It's interesting, Nick. Um, Trey Boston's a weird free agent to me for the past two off seasons. He's been a free agent and he signed back to back one year deals with different teams. And both times he's had awesome grades. Uh, from pro football focus, and yet he still can't land these long-term deals more than or more than a one-year deal, and he's changing teams. And, you know, originally Dave Gettleman in Carolina was the one who signed him, and yet he didn't want him either the last two offseasons. So it's very weird. I don't think the Giants will be interested in him um, regardless. But for me, the answer is, and this is our first disagreement, but it's Jimmy Ward. I'm actually a big, big fan of Jimmy Ward. I know there's some risk with the injury history there, but what I love about Ward is he had his breakout season in 2019 – after the 49ers changed how they were playing him, he used to play a lot of slot. He played some boundary cornerback, um, really was nickel as well. But this career year in 2019 came, obviously it helps to have Nick Bosa and that front, but it came when he played three-fourths of his snaps at free safety, the deep half, 
Um, and he had eight broken up passes. He had Paul, you know, only three missed tackles. That's what you would expect from a player who's played all those positions. But I love the upside here of a guy coming off his rookie contract, maybe just coming into his own. Now that he's kind of made a full transition to the deep half safety role, but still not fully established like a Harris. So may not get that top of the market deal. To me, Ward's a guy I'm super interested in, actually. Um, and I think that He's a guy who they can maybe get for not a market price or not maybe not at market price, but not break the bank status, especially considering, you know, the 49ers won't really have a lot of money invested already in this defense and probably have guys they want to worry about resigning soon as well. So Ward's a guy to keep an eye on. He's probably one of my favorite free agents on this market, Nick. Yeah, um, more power to it, man. I mean, Jimmy Ward obviously just played in the uh, Super Bowl, so hopefully the Giants do bring him in. They would have that same kind of fortune. But uh, something tells me we might have to wait a little bit for that. Yep, we shall see. All right, let's get into the mailbag section of the show. We promised a big mailbag. We obviously – I'm sorry? I said let's do it, baby. Oh, sorry. I guess Nick's too excited. I had a little more to say there, but I was just going to say we obviously didn't get to it on the last pod, but we do want to answer all your questions. Keep this show as interactive as we possibly can. So let's start, Nick, with a question I got for you. It's from a good friend of mine from – you know, a longtime friend of mine, and that's Kevin Appenzolder, and he wants to know, who are your top three free agency targets after the first wave of free agency? And just a little side note there, Nick, I was actually a, one of the best men in Kevin's wedding, which was, you know, a beautiful, excellent reception earlier this year. Damn, that's actually um, excellent, to be honest. All right, so my three... So we're not going to say necessarily sleepers, but just not day ones. We're not talking about the Jadavian Clownies. We're not talking about the Byron Jones, right? So my three would be Emmanuel Ogba, Nick Kwiatkowski, and I'm going to go with Darquez Denard if Byron Jones is not signed. I like it. So you got an inside backer, off-ball backer, an edge in Ogba who you know has a lot of potential. We talked about our last podcast. And then Darquez Denard who can play the slot. He can maybe step in at boundary cornerback, really underrated corner. I'm going to go with Daryl Williams as one of my three. I just love the upside there. I mean, in 2017, he was an elite offensive tackle. He's going to go for pennies after these injured years. He has a connection with Gettleman. It's such an easy fix, and it's so hard to get offensive line talent cheap with upside. He's one of them. I'm also going to go with Graham Glasgow, a guy I had on my extra sleepers who missed the cut last podcast, but I've moved him up since. I really like the upside with Glasgow. He's been an excellent player, and I think he can be an even better player at center than he's been at guard. Uh, for the Giants, and it's just a nice, easy way to potentially upgrade center in a really, and you know, in an offseason where there, there's limited options to upgrade that position, in my opinion. Um, then as my third, uh, you, you took him, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep, keep the Darkies Denard there. I really think Denard is an excellent option for the Giants if they miss out on Byron Jones um, and a way for them to kind of stay afloat there so they can fill needs at corner at, at defensive back without having to, you know, make sure you get an Akuda or whatever in the draft while keep leaving yourself, like I said, the versatility to be about value when it comes to the draft while also obviously addressing needs, but also be about value. So I think Sean Davis is also say if uh, the Giants do sign Byron Jones and that would remove Denard, I would put Sean Davis into that. Young has high draft pedigree and actually had some solid a solid season uh, in the past that he can maybe capitalize and build upon. And maybe he just needs a new environment. Yeah, good call. You know, you know, I'm also on board with that potentially. All right. Philip Santana asks, could you see us getting Simmons and Chase in in the draft if we trade back with Miami? If we do trade back with Miami, I could see the Giants going in the direction of drafting Simmons. And I don't feel like the Giants would get another first round pick 
uh, from Miami if they even trade back one that one spot to the fifth, to be honest. So I don't know if they would even have the opportunity to get or acquire uh, Caleb on, Chase on uh, from the, the pass rusher from LSU for anybody who doesn't know. And I'm not even 100% sure if the Giants would uh, take that risk. It doesn't seem like a Gettleman move. Gettleman likes to get people who have kind of a long pedigree of success. And Chase on is one of those players who kind of never really reached his uh, success until like his last or where he could potentially be until like his last three or four games in college football. So I don't necessarily see that materializing. Yeah, I don't see it materializing for a few reasons. For starters, I think if the Giants have Simmons as their guy, they're not going to take a risk and trade down. I mean, this would be the one time they do because they know if they traded Miami, it's for a quarterback. But I still, I, I, you know, I'm not totally. I'm not totally sold on the idea that Miami would feel the need to trade with a Gettleman to move up. Um, now, as far as Chase on goes, I I don't think they'll get an extra third. Or, sorry, first, but maybe he's talking. Maybe Phillips talking about getting Miami's early second. Where I do actually think Chase on could fall. Personally, I don't love what I've seen from Chase on. He's not a target of mine in this draft. He mean I could Chase on's a clear cut case of you could be wrong. He has so much upside as a pass rusher. He has the skill set, obviously, um, and he has the athleticism, but you know, like Nick said, he doesn't have that much good game tape, and that's a real big risk. And I don't think it really aligns with what Gettleman has shown he's willing to do. Yeah. All right, Steve Hall, another good friend of mine. I'm glad to be getting questions from the good friends on this podcast. Steve Hall wants to know, how long before the Giants are serious contenders to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl? Uh, I wish it was tomorrow, but in all honesty, we would have to take this uh I would say every by every week, every month, it's not going to be this season, though, in my honest opinion. Maybe if everything develops the way that we hope, if everything's maximized, if Saquon Barkley stays healthy, if Daniel Jones keeps progressing and that linear development upward ascending, all those kind of things keep happening, then maybe the next year, if everything goes right for the New York Giants with this coaching staff, but uh, I don't have high hopes this season. But, hey, we're early in free agency. We're early in the offseason, Dan. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm also kind of more on more of a long-term projection as far as Super Bowl goes. I think they can get back to the playoffs quicker than most probably do. But Super Bowl is a little bit of a different story there. But I think all of this kind of just comes down to Daniel Jones and his development. He's obviously flashed some really big-time potential. He had multiple games last season of four touchdown passes and zero interceptions. He did that three times. No rookie's done that even one. Or, I'm sorry, no rookie's done that even twice. So he also had a five-touchdown, zero-interception game. Um, you know, he has shown flashes of big-time potential. But his development, how fast he becomes a big-time quarterback, I think will be – what leads the Giants it would be the only way the Giants can get to Super Bowl because I'm saying that because I don't see an elite defense in their near future. You know, to build a defense like the 49ers, that takes time. And I don't think the 49ers had good quarterback play last season. Other people would say they did. That's up for debate. What they did have was an unbelievable offensive system and play caller to go with an elite defense. I don't think the Giants are there yet with either of those two things. So the way to counteract that would be elite level quarterback play. I don't think we're anywhere close to that with Jones yet, but I also won't rule out the potential for him to turn into one of the better quarterbacks in this league, given the potential he's flashed. So especially as a rookie. So for me, that's what it comes down to, Steve. Patris asks us a lot of optimism around the new coaching staff. Which position unit do you see benefiting the most from this staff and which player specifically? 
See, I would go with Darius Slayton and Tyke Tolbert. Tyke Tolbert, for those of you who don't know, was a wide receiver coach for Pat Shermer's regime, and now he has been retained by Joe Judge. But I feel like that's a boring answer. So I'm going to go with Jerome Henderson, who is the Giants' secondaries coach. Now, before being with the Giants, he was on the Atlanta Falcons from 2016 to 2019 as the defensive passing game coordinator. And before that, he was a Cowboys, Browns, and Jets defensive coach. And, I mean, the Falcons, I feel like he did a good job with DeMonte Casey early in his career and then that secondary had just been decimated by injuries the last two seasons he went to a Super Bowl on that staff with Dan Quinn though and I feel like the one area of the Giants team that really needs development and refinement is that secondary so you're looking at DeAndre Baker you're looking at Corey Ballantyne you're looking at Grant Haley to even a lesser extent and you're looking at Sam Beal and if those players can develop and if Jerome Henderson kind of get the most out of them that would be excellent so I'm gonna have to go with Henderson I like that, Nick. I do. I'm going to go with, to me, the, the slam dunk one. I, I guess it might be the easier call to make just based on what they had before. But I'm going to go with specific player, Will Hernandez. But overall, everybody on that Giants offensive line going from Hal Hunter to Mark Colombo. And while I do have a lot of upside when it comes to Colombo as an offensive line coach for the Giants, I think a lot of the reason I'm making, uh, I'm making this call and using this as my answer is because the upgrade from Hal Hunter – to almost anybody would be big. Uh, but for Hal Hunter to Colombo, I see a lot of upside there. Um, and especially if the Giants start to incorporate more power and, you know, put pin poke gap concepts for this offensive line, I see somebody like Will Hernandez really benefiting from that because that's pretty much exactly what he dominated at uh, at the collegiate level with those concepts. So that would be my call there. Stan McCune asks, which has you more scared, Nick and Dan? The prospect of coronavirus hitting New York City or the thought of Dave Gettleman mismanaging the Giants draft. Well, Stan, the uh, coronavirus is live and well in New York City right now. So uh, that only leaves the Dave Gettleman mismanaging the Giants draft as the uh, only option. So I guess we'll go with the uh, latter. Yeah, well, I think more so he was kind of saying how bad it could get, I guess, in NYC. And I don't think we're seeing anywhere close to what that could be. It's going to uh, be yeah, it could be really bad, but uh, Nick's Nick. The, just so you guys know, Nick's very. Um, what's the word for this, Nick? You're very uh, neur- neurotic. Neurotic when it comes to diseases and things of this nature. Um, I might be a little more conservative, or, or sorry, less conservative than Nick in that regard. But I do think it could get bad in NYC. Um, and I, you know, as far as Giants Gettleman mismanaging the draft, I don't think he's going to really have too much opportunity to do that unless he, you know unless he does go ahead and, I don't know, trade trade up from 36 to kind of get another first rounder and give up 99 or a future second round pick, something like that. You know, trading up is just what, I don't think the Giants are anywhere close to in position to trade up in this draft class, given their current situation. So that would scare me for sure, Stan. You know he's been close to do it. He said he was close to trading up for Will Hernandez. He was close to trading up for Lorenzo Carter. He did trade up for DeAndre Baker. Um, so that would be my one concern there, you know, that he continues in that regard. But I, I think this will be a straightforward draft class where he sees value at his picks and he stays out there and he takes them. Yeah, but uh, Stan and Dan, <laughs> that rhymes. But um, my one thing is I think Gettleman is going to be much more conservative with that because he knows how like just bad that Leonard Williams deal was and just losing that asset of a third round pick. I'm hoping he's not being stubborn and being like, hey, that was the decision at the time. I think he... I mean, I have no inside information whatsoever, but I just I hope that he kind of realizes, wow, I cannot make those kind of mistakes, you know, and maybe I should just be more patient and trust my board. Yeah, no doubt. Stan also asked, my gut tells me the Redskins take Chase Young. 
The Lions take Isaiah Simmons, and the Giants don't trade down. In that scenario, rank and justify the remaining options. Okuda, Becton, etc., and how happy you would be with them. So I would personally like for the Giants to trade down, but if that scenario materializes, but say they do not, I'm looking to get one of those tackles, whoever Dave Gettleman values the most, either Becton, Wirfs, or Wills. For me personally, it would probably be Wills or Wirfs. I'm very like close with both of them, and I keep trying to watch as much film with them, and since I'm inside, I probably will accomplish that. But uh, landing Wills or Wirfs in that, that solid offensive line talent to just kind of allow Daniel Jones to help develop and just protect him, he's your most valuable asset— I think that's a very wise thing to do. So I would be fine if that was the case. But if Simmons and Young are the drafted and you have Justin Herbert and Tua sitting there on the board and you don't trade back, I'd be I'd be a little bit upset with that. But at the end of the day, I'd be like, at least we got a good player. Yeah, great call, Nick. I think you're spot on here. For starters, I'd be devastated if the Giants if the Lions and Redskins take two players that aren't Tua and the Giants don't trade back, they're oh. making because someone wants to at four i can guarantee you but i don't see that playing out but in in this scenario i have to play mother rules here stan for me it's funny because actually nick it's funny you mentioned that because over i'd say the last five seven days those are the two tackles that have really stood out to me they're starting to gain some traction on the rest of the field and that's worse and wills wills from alabama worse from iowa you guys have known that i've been high on worse since basically december or earlier i think he's the safest pick at the offensive tackle position and I think that Wills actually has the second most upside behind Becton. But Becton, to me, also has the, the biggest downside and the biggest risk there. Uh, for me, Thomas you know, is and has been kind of the fourth for me of that bunch for a little while. Uh, I'm a little nervous there. Um, obviously, you know, he has the best. He has the most consistent profile from a pro football focus grading standpoint. But I just don't know if that means I'm going to, you know, fully subscribe to that as my reasoning for a guy. Like when I watch these guys, he's he's the four for me. Um, and I and I've outlined some of my concerns there. So for me, I'm kind of with Nick, too. I would go one of those guys over a Cuda if I was forced to sit at four without a trade back. I'm just not. I know it's it's just tough for me to go a Cuda when I know I could get Byron Jones in free agency. And, you know, you, you use you use the draft to, to, to get overall value. Um, and I don't think the Giants are going to have an opportunity to kind of take a Worfs or Wills type tackle for a long time there. So that's kind of where I'm at there. Um, Stan McCune asks. If the Giants do sign Byron Jones, when it's their turn to draft and Okuda is the highest player on their board, would drafting him and having the highest paid player in Jones on their team, plus two first rounders from straight years being cornerbacks, uh, uh, would that be a mismanagement of their resources? Damn, Stan, bringing the questions today. I love it. Um, uh, First off, I want to say adding Okuda to your roster is is always a good thing because he's that solid of a player. Now, with that being said, I do believe with the other holds on the roster and the fact that you're going to have four tackles, three that we're really excited about, but four tackles that no one would really bat an eye and say, no, that's a terrible pick that can really help your offense, really protect your asset. Those guys will be available there. I think it is somewhat of a mismanagement of resources because you that big glaring need of the number one corner would be filled by Byron Jones's presence and you still have Baker and bringing in Okuda that would as good as Okuda is with all the other holes in the roster it's just it's not something that I feel like would be a prudent move by the New York Giants yeah I mean if you're drafting Okuda you're hoping he becomes Byron Jones but you then would already have Byron Jones and part of the reason for drafting Byron Jones is so you can you know look at yourself in the mirror and say it's okay to pass on Okuda there um 
And for me, I think it's always kind of okay to pass on a corner in the top five. I'm just not a big believer that's a position. I, I have a tough time taking corners, um, receivers, tight ends, running backs in the top five. It's always going to be a struggle for me. I'm never going to get past that. And if I do take one, I kind of want a Revis type or a Earl Thomas type at safety because I'll even include that position as well. Or a Gronk at tight. You know, I need those type of prospects. I don't see that with Akuda. I do think he's going to be an excellent player in the NFL. I don't think he's going to be a Revis type. Um, so. Do you think Akuda could possibly be Marshawn Lattimore? Yeah, I think he actually, I think that's a really good, I think that's kind of probably the best comparison for him. Yeah, not just because they're both Ohio State guys, but that's, I mean, similar, ilk, long. Yeah. Taught that same technique there, which is different from a lot of schools. Yes, yeah. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's similar to what I see with, with Jones, you know, less total ball skills in the sense of interception totals, but just that lockdown coverage. Um, so, so, yeah, so I definitely think that's in play. Um, all right, Client9 asks, does the lack of linebackers on the current roster necessitate drafting Simmons at four? I wouldn't say it necessitates because for the draft, you want to bring in these players who are going to provide value over an extended period of time, that first contract and hopefully the second contract if they develop the way they want to. And I feel the tackle positions have to be looked at because you don't know what's going on with the right tackle. And then you have Nate Solder at left tackle, and you're not going to get rid of him this year because the cap hit, but the next year you very well might end up parting ways with him and then you're left with no tackle so i think the tackle is the same concern as the linebacker right now client nine my man yeah i i don't think it's a necessity because i think there's i've, I've tweeted about this. i think there's five really good linebackers to get on off-ball linebackers i like in this class um simmons bond uh queen murray and, and i really like akeem davis aether uh, the small school guy. And there might even be more that I that come into, but those are the five I want. And I think that the Giants can get one at 36. If they don't get one at four, I really do believe that. So to me, it's not much of a necessity, but you're playing with fire there because there's a chance that there's a run on Murray and Queen and Bond, and you're left with nobody there. And then you're kind of left to reach there. So I get the point. I just don't totally see it uh, as a definite necessity. All right. Willie Receipts asks, which 2018 pick that made sense takes the biggest jump this year out of Will Hernandez, Lorenzo Carter, BJ Hill, RJ McIntosh, or Sam Beal. Ooh, you can go in a couple different directions here. Cause I do feel like there's two that are going to make a jump and I'm going to go with the defensive one, Lorenzo Carter. I feel like he's going to mesh better with Patrick Graham. I think he'll be able to pin his ears back a little bit more and blitz and maybe not play as much just like middle linebacker, like he was doing in James Betcher's system from time to time. So I'm going to go with Lorenzo Carter. And I think you're going to go with the other one who I also feel like will do wonders without how Hunter holding him down. So I'll let you take over this conversation, my friend. Yeah, I mean, we talked. I talked earlier about Will Hernandez. He's he'd be my number one to make the big jump. Will, um, I think that it comes down to you know switching over to Colombo, adding more of those gaps and pull scheme, uh, pull concepts to the run blocking scheme, which are going to be huge for him. But Carter's another guy who I keep an eye on because Carter to me really will benefit from not being used in such a jack-of-all-trades role. He needs to kind of get back there and show off his athleticism, that edge bend that we saw in the Patriots game with that big-time sack and that we've seen at times, and see if, you know, that can turn into a more consistent force there. He still has a long way to go as a pass rusher, but the only way he's going to get there is by getting actual reps as a pass rusher and not doing all these different things that kind of Betcher had him doing. So those, again, would be my top two as well. All right. Pat Chamberlain asked, with trades happening around the league as the year gets underway, are there any players you could see the Giants trying to deal away, either for cap relief or extra draft picks? And how about potential guys the Giants may try to obtain via trade? 
Yeah, I don't necessarily see the Giants going out and trying to obtain players at the moment. I think they're looking at this free agent class right now and they have their guys circled and they're ready to get into bidding wars with certain players. I think they're ready for the draft and I don't think they necessarily have the capital to be trading capital for other players. So I don't think the Giants will be too active on that front. Yeah, I think we have a different a difference of opinion here, Nick. I think if you look at the recent history of Dave Gettleman as the Giants GM, what did he do? He went out at the beginning of the of his tenure when he knew he had some extra cap space to play around with in a big hole in the middle, and he traded for Alec Ogletree, a veteran who he then re-signed to a new deal. Then he also traded away a veteran in Jason Pierre-Paul for a third-round pick. Um, and he's also, you know, he's made a lot of moves. He's traded for Leonard Williams. He's actually made a lot of trades, obviously, the OBJ trade. So I think he's going to be pretty active on the trade market. Now, having said that, I think those moves were made at a different time. Those moves yes. were made when he was turning over the roster. Those moves were made when he was rebuilding the roster and his image and changing up the culture of the locker room. So I don't think he's going to be as active, but it would not surprise me at all to see the Giants as one of the more active trade market teams just because, you know, a lot of teams aren't active at all. Um, and he's proven to be more active over the past two seasons, off seasons, than most teams. All right. Let's go on to Gary Bevelowski, who asks, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name, what do you think is more important for success in the next two to three years, building through the draft or building through free agency? Oh, it's definitely building through the draft. And like Dan said it earlier in the podcast, free agency is where you want to allocate your money to replenish urgent needs right now. Whereas draft, you build through the draft and then you resign those players if those players end up being effective players. And then that's kind of how you kind of build a franchise like the Packers or somebody like that who kind of have this foundation in place of homegrown talent. So, yes, definitely building through the draft in my mind. Yeah, I mean, like you said, building through the draft is you, – you build through the draft for value, and that's the players you – those are the players you want to re-sign to long-term deals um, and, you know, re-sign some of your own, and hopefully you keep them healthy and you re-sign them at good price. But you do, you do need to do a little bit of both. So I think, for me, it's never going to be this process of – you know, you see a lot of people on Twitter suggesting and advocating for, which is never spend in free agency. Free agency is bad, this and that. I don't think the, the money and the cap is as big of a deal as, you know, a lot of people seem to make it out to be. I think a lot of teams have proven that in their spending ways. The Saints are the best example of that. But, you know, you've seen it from the Eagles and the Cowboys as well. So I think it needs to be a little bit of both. All right. New York Giants, Super Bowl 2020. What a prediction. That's his liter that's literally his Twitter uh, login or I'm sorry, his Twitter name. Who will be the biggest name the Giants sign in free agency? And who's your early favorite at number four in the draft? So I hope the Giants land Byron Jones, as I've said, but there's this weird gut feeling, even though the Giants have a lot more cap space than the Eagles, I feel like the Eagles might end up getting him somehow. And I don't know why I feel that way, but something tells me that. And I really hope I'm wrong. So I'm going to go with the biggest name. I think the Giants may end up getting Clowney, to be honest, in free agency. And my favorite at four right now, I could see them going after the tackle, but I think they're really smitten with Isaiah Simmons. And they really know that defense is a huge liability. So they might go with Isaiah Simmons. So that's where I'm going to go right now. Yep. Um, I, this is interesting. These are the two biggest questions in the Giants offseason. So I think it's a fun, fun question to answer at every, you know, at any and at every point until these moves are actually made because, you know, it changes day to day. I'm kind of with Nick. I think that although Byron Jones growing up as a Giants fan gives the Giants some advantage, the Eagles have the trump card, which is they're closer to competing. And he's coming from a franchise in Dallas that has been pretty competitive, um, at least more than the Giants over the last several years. So I think that the big one will be Clowney, too. I just have a weird feeling on Clowney as well. That, 
Giants will get him. I don't know why. I just have that odd feeling. And as far as four goes, my early favorite is actually Simmons. I think that people are sleeping on the fact that Dave Gettleman found, loved, and drafted Shaq Thompson in the first round with the Panthers before anyone really was drafting these hybrid off-ball linebackers. And he was kind of ahead of the curve on that one. And people never really talk about it, never really give him credit for Shaq Thompson. But he's one of the best off-ball linebackers in the league, just resigned for a big deal there. And I think that he's going to see the same type of thing, but way better in Simmons. I mean, Simmons, we're not just talking about an uber athlete who plays every position on the defense. Look at the numbers, guys. He would rack up big-time numbers on big-time tackles for losses, sacks, interceptions, you know, tack total tackles. He was making plays all over the field, so it's Simmons for me there. All right, Nick. Tim Houston lays out a plan. Defense, edge, slot, corner, middle linebacker. Do those in free agency. Offense, he wants tackles, center, and wide receivers in the draft. What are your thoughts on this plan? Okay, so do you want to actually go through with Mr. Houston's plan, and we'll name the edge, corner, and middle linebacker, and then the tackle, center, wide receiver that will be drafted in the first sure, three picks? Sure. Let's, Let's do it. So for the edge, we're going to go with Jadavian Clowney because we were just talking about him. But as an ulterior person, if he does not get franchise tag, we'll go with Shaquille Barrett from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. For slot corner, I want to switch it and just go with corner, but if you're going to do slot, I'm going to go with Chris Harris, but if we're going to just, or even Tremont Williams as someone who will be cheaper, much cheaper, very old, but still very effective, but if it is corner, obviously Byron Jones, and as the middle linebacker, I think Joe Schobert, former Wisconsin Badger, would be a very solid choice to bring in as well, and uh, yeah, we'll go with that, then you do your free agency, and then I'll go with the draft, and we'll do that. All right, well, that was a lot of money you just spent there, Nick, in free agency, but I assume part of that not allocating that chunk for Leonard Williams. So there you go. You'll save a little there in that sense. Um, but if I'm going to stick to Tim Houston's plan, that would mean they got to go an edge, a slot. So slot, I'm going to save some money. I'm going to go with Darquise Denard, guy we've talked about. Middle linebacker, I'm going to do the same thing you did, Schobert. I like Schobert a lot. For me, I, I might even be convinced to go Schobert over Littleton if they were the same price. But I think Schobert's going to be significantly cheaper, or a little bit cheaper. So he's my lock there. And then edge, you know, I'll, I'll go clowny because why not? You're saving the money on Leonard. Um, and you're obviously saving the money on Byron there. So let's go Clowney there. So then they would have Clowney on this defense. They'd have a slot guy in Denard, and they'd have Schobert kind of as that off-ball guy. Um, that's okay. So let's pivot back. What, what, how are you now attacking the draft uh, on offense? We're fixing things over here, Dan. We're fixing things. All right. So, so for the offense at tackle, I'm going to go with Jedrick Wills from Alabama. At center, I'm going to go with Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU. And then at wide receiver, I'm going to go with it. This is the third round, so I'm imagining yeah. Denzel Mims is off the board. But in this scenario, for whatever reason, Chase Claypool from Notre Dame is still there. Gigantic man, pretty solid athlete, did very, very well at the combine. And that's where I'm going to go. We're going to go with Chase Claypool there. Okay, I'm going to go Werfs as the tackle. I think the Giants have shown early interest. He makes a lot of sense to me. He's the, They're going to be their number one guy. I'm going to Cush as well in round two, though. You know, if I wait, I could pray and hope Hennessy makes it to 99. I love Hennessy, uh, the, Temple ta- the Temple Center. But if we're going to stick with this at wide receiver, I'm going to go uh, Michael Pittman, the guy I keep tweeting about. I freaking love this guy. I-, I don't think he's going to last that long, but there's a chance with how deep this wide receiver class is. I love Pittman out of USC. So in this scenario, Nick, the Giants roster would be a lot better. There'd be a lot fewer holes. So I don't hate it, um, but there would still be some definite holes deep half safety. They still wouldn't really have a boundary cornerback who can lock down. And, you know, even at off-ball linebacker, they'd be counting on Schobert, um, in, in this case for either of us, and Connolly, who's coming off the injury. 
um, as well. And it seems like kind of that wide receiver position doesn't necessarily fit a huge need for them, um, but he would add Pittman would add size and speed on the boundary. Um, so I, I don't hate it, Tim. I really don't hate your plan. I think it's pretty solid. Yeah. You also said that you like Tennessee. I wish I could like cut that and drop it and then insert it into whenever I wanted to into this podcast. That'd be great. <laughs> you, you can probably do that. You need to look into it, but maybe, but you know, I'll give you the, the go ahead if you want to do that. Nick. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Tennessee is definitely not my alcohol choice though. I'm a tequila guy. Not mine either. Good mezcal. Call it a day. All right. That is actually all the, oh no, we got one more. We got one more from David Solo, Nick. And this is how we're going to end the show with this final question. How much should the Giants be willing to pay Anthony Harris? So Harris is going to reset the market. Eddie Jackson currently holds the most money at this place, which is the free safety position, $14,600,000. And that's four-year deal. He just resigned with the Chicago Bears. So you're looking at maybe a $15 million, somewhere around that. Maybe he'll accept slightly above the fourteen six. And uh, that's what the Giants are going to have to be willing to pay him if he's looking to top the market, which usually that's what happens every free agent cycle. So that's uh, the money. That's the dollar signs that we're going to be looking at if Anthony Harris is the option for the New York Giants. Yeah, David, I mean, I think this I can kind of approach this question from an overall standpoint, because I think it's important to note with free agency because we're going to get these questions a lot. There's going to be a lot of talk about what should Team X be willing to spend? What do these dollars mean? I don't think there's any number they shouldn't be willing to spend on Harris. I don't think that it really matters. I don't think it's like they're going to come out and offer him $27 million per year. There's not That's not how it works. The, really, what these type of guys are going to get at the top of the market is the top of the market deals. And this is how free agency works. You shouldn't be worried about the dollars and the cents and all of that. If you're using free agency to help your roster, it means that you haven't drafted well enough and you need to fill these needs. And it means you're going to have to overpay a little bit. But the good news is, the really, really good news is, the Giants are saving about $25 million, as we see Ryan Tannehill is now going to be making $30 million a year, at the quarterback position. That's per year, and that's a lot of cap that they can use in other positions. And that allows them to pay market price for a guy like Harris or market price for a guy like Byron Jones. So to me, you got to look at it like that. This is a small window before they have to pay the quarterback position. And the time to be aggressive is within that small window. And on that note, everybody, we're going to sign off there. It was a big mailbag pod. We answered some of your questions. We hope all of your questions. There will be more to come. As we said, there's going to be a lot of big blue banter coming your way in the following week with free agency and with both me and Nick self-quarantined at our respective homes. So stay tuned. Keep it locked and loaded. And as usual, do us a favor. Like, download. Uh, rate and review our podcast on iTunes. Help spread the word to all your Giants fans and friends. And otherwise, we'll speak to you soon. Have a great rest of your week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.